Welcome to Dig Deep, the mining podcast. In this podcast, we go deep into mining news, hot topics, and live interviews with mining professionals and leading figures in the mining industry. Introducing your host, Rob Tyson, founder and director of Mining International and Mining International Executive, a leading global mining recruitment and headhunting agency. Hi, mining community. Welcome back to another episode of the Dig Deep, the mining podcast. And today's guest is Bob Duffin, who's the executive chairman of Eastern Metals, an Australian-based precious metals exploration company with a portfolio of projects in New South Wales and the Northern Territory in Australia. Uh, Bob has over 45 years' experience in resource exploration, project assessment, mining investment and analyst and company management. Um, and he's here today to tell us um, about Eastern Metals, what they've achieved, um, and probably learn more about what's happening in the mining market in New South Wales and the Northern Territory within Australia. So let's welcome Bob to the podcast. How are you doing, Bob? Oh, I'm good, thanks, Rob. I'm very pleased to be with you, and thanks for the invitation. No, and I appreciate your time as well. I know you're an active podcast listener, um, so we start our podcast off by um, understanding a little bit about the guest. So I just wondered if you can just tell us a little bit about yourself, about your career. Obviously, I mentioned you've been in the industry for 45 years, so you must have seen a lot of things during that time. Um, so, yeah, I just wondered if you can tell us about your uh, uh, long career. Oh, fine. Thanks. Uh, thanks, Rob. Look, uh, I uh, started my professional career in the Geological Survey of New South Wales. I spent a few years there. Then I was recruited by the Exploration Division of Mount Isa Mines and moved to Kalgoorlie, where my wife and I lived for five years, and we had a couple of kids while we were in Kalgoorlie. Great experience, good uh, uh, good all-round experience for a young guy in his uh, early 20s. I then moved to the Mount Isa Mines head office for a couple of years, and everyone who works for MIM has to go and their service at Mount Isa itself, and, and we went there for a year or two. Uh, I guess my experience in those days was basically looking for, uh, initially it was in the nickel boom, and we were looking for nickel and copper sulphides in the Yilgarn. I uh, was a little bit of a specialist, so I got exposed to iron ore as well, and a little bit of uranium work in WA. Then uh, after Mount Isa Mines, um, I transferred to uh, Pico Wallsend. Now, some some people these days probably don't remember Pico, but it was a it's a major miner in its day. It owned uh, a number of mines in the Tennant Creek area, the King Island Shearlight project that had a smelter at uh, Rockhampton, and I was involved in exploration then again uh, in New South Wales for a range of different commodity types, including porphyry, coppers, gold. Uh, we were looking for diamonds at one stage in the Northern Territory, and I looked at uh, a number of other elements. Uh, Pico had a subsidiary called the Golden Walls End Coal Company in those days, which was a coal mining company. And uh, I, I was, I'm one of the guys who was able to move back and forward from the hard rock sector into uh, coal exploration and worked on a number of coal properties uh, within the, the Pico group then. This... I'm now in my mid-30s, so I'd been a uh, 
I've been a small investor in the stock market, uh, not a big one, but I quite liked the analytical part of it. So I took a big deep breath and got out of the straight technical area and moved into mining investment analysis. So I spent uh, four years in the stockbroking industry, including two years as uh, the research manager with one of the Sydney-based brokers. Um, I then then uh, broadened my in, interest in in uh, in mining investment analysis and went out on my own and got involved in a number of companies and a number of projects with uh, a few of the entrepreneurs uh, that were around in the late 1980s. Now, obviously, the stock market crash of 1987 put an end to that sort of work, but nonetheless, I I quite liked what I was doing and with a number of other people, some of whom I've worked with before in the Pico days and also the Mount Isa Mine days, uh, I got involved with some junior companies and we acquired some assets. And to cut a long story short, I guess the, the peak of my career over that period was when we bought the Peculiar Knob iron ore project in a company called WPG. Uh, we paid $4 million for it and sold it uh, four years later after having taken it through the resource definition stage, the permitting, the uh, approvals and the financing stage. We took that uh, uh, to the point where we were on the, on the absolute cusp of developing it and the people from One Steel came along and paid $320 million for it. So we bought it for four, sold it for $320 four years later after we had de-risked it. And uh, I thought based on that experience, well, hey, let's give that again, go again. And uh, uh, that's what we're trying to do in Eastern Metals. We bought some non-core assets from West Farmers, a big company. Uh, and um, we could see that with both of those two projects that we bought, Browns Reef, Polymetallic in New South Wales, and the Barra Creek or Home of Bullion Project in the Northern Territory, we could see that the people in the past had done some good work, but there was potential to increase the resource grade or resource, resource tonnage with further work. And that's what we said we were going to do in our prospectus in Eastern Metals, which uh, we put out in, I think it was August 2021, and we listed the company in October 2021 after having raised $6 million. And we focused initially on those two projects, Browns Reef in New South Wales and the home of Bullion Mine in the Northern Territory. Browns Reef is a... we was, when we acquired it, a large tonnage but relatively modest-grade deposit. Uh, and But we, we could see a whole lot of intersections that the old-timers the, the old had recorded but not followed up where the grades were much higher. Well, they were all grade. And we're working at the moment on two of those, one of which we call um, Evergreen, where we have drilled... We ourselves have been, drilled six holes and have come up with your, with what you like, uh, what you might call half an ore body. It's typical of the grades of um, of uh, uh, polymetallic deposits elsewhere in the Cobar Basin. But we need to drill another four or five holes to get it to the full full jork resource status. But I'm anticipating we'll be able to do that this calendar year. Uh, moving to the Northern Territory project, uh, it was the same idea. 
they had a resource on it when we bought it of uh, 2.5 million tonnes at 2.8% copper equivalent, a, a dual compliant resource. And we could see the potential for doubling that resource. Uh, we planned 11 holes. As it turns out, we've only drilled th three. And we've taken that 2.5 million tonnes at 2.8% to 3.1 million tonnes at 2.9% there's a 28% increase in the contained metal. So we're pretty happy with what we've achieved there. And again, we want to do some further work uh, on that project this calendar year. There's another, there's another element to those assets that we've got in the Northern Territory, though. While the focus has been very much on the home of bullion copper deposit, that the assets do lie within a defined geological province called uh, the Barra Creek Pegmatite Field. And uh, as you know, pegmatite's the rocks in which uh, primary deposits of lithium occur. And so we uh, recognise the potential for uh, pegmatite discoveries in our tenement block and have started, but not yet finished, a systematic reconnaissance exploration program looking for them. I have to say at the moment, Rob, we haven't found any, but we've only covered 25% of the ground that we've got. But it still remains prospective. So, so um, that we've got the home of bullion deposit there, which is a copper project, a copper resource. We've got these lithium project assets, which, which we haven't found any yet, but which is in the right address. And we have another area there in that package of tenements called Prospect D, which has got known uh, nickel and copper sulphide mineralization, but not yet uh, in the resource status. So if you're looking for, as most companies are these days, the future facing uh, commodities, we've got copper, we've got nickel, and we've got lithium. I can't think of a better, better portfolio of project assets within uh, a very small tenement block than that, and that's what we'll be focusing on very much this year. Now, there is another uh, uh, string to our bow. In New South Wales, our main project is um, Browns Reef, as I mentioned, but we have two other tenements, one of which is called Tara, and old reports at Tara indicated there was some copper mineralisation uh, mined on a very small scale in the past. We went and looked at that a few uh, weeks ago, and while we didn't find any copper mineralization, we did find some extraordinarily high grades of uh, rare earth minerals. We've got samples going up to uh, 3.5% 3.5% total rare earth oxides, okay? That is a very, very, very high grade result. I'm not suggesting that's going to be uh, representative of uh, uh, the total uh, ore body itself if we do come up with a, with a compliant all body but but it is you know when you get those sorts of grades you just must alter your priorities everywhere and follow it up and that's what we're doing at the moment um, we're so excited about that area in that we've applied for another exploration license in that tara area covering vacant ground so that we can get not only the potential uh extensions of that uh, that structure at the at where I'm talking about with getting our uh, high grade assays, but also in similar geological environments, which nobody yet has realised uh, or recognised as such. There are there are a couple of known uh, rare earth 
deposits in New South Wales. One's uh, one's near uh, near Dubbo, and one's much further south. Uh, and uh, the companies that own those are working on them at the at the moment. But there's nothing near Cobar where we are. And Cobar is a terrific place to be exploring because uh, it's an own and recognise uh, mining district. Uh, it, it is uh, the people in the town of Cobar are supportive of mining. They generate a lot of their in the town generates a lot of its income and wealth from mining in the area. And I'm anticipating that we will not have any uh, material amounts of objections to uh, project development there, like you might do if you were operating in a in an agricultural area. So. So they're the things we're looking at at the, at the moment, Rob, and I'm pretty confident that if you were having this, uh, if you and I were having this discussion in 12 months' time, I'd, I'd have some very good very good new information to tell you. Yeah. Um, you recently announced encouraging um, REE results um, at your, obviously, Tara project in New South Wales. What were the key highlights uh, from the exploration work that you carried out at Tara um, and how does the company plan to follow up on this work? Well, as I said, we we went into this area because there were old reports of copper mineralisation at an old and very small scale mine called Currawalla. It's it's very small, uh, but we recognised a structure on which the Currawalla mine is developed, and we can trace it for about four hundred metres to the northeast. Uh, and we used what's called a portable XRF uh, uh, field instrument. It's a, it's, it, it gives readings of metal content, not quite with the status of a formal assay, but nonetheless it gets those readings of metal, those indications of metal content almost instantaneously. And to our big surprise, we got these very high results. So um, we're now looking at what sort of uh, what sort of structures are there that are that have led to the de deposition of this uh, these really high grades, and we're trying to trace those along strike uh, along this 400 meter uh, uh, structure, and also looking for similar structures in the broader area. So uh, because we get we've got these very high res grade results. We have to, we've adjusted our priorities. We're going to look uh, very care, carefully and, and, and uh, uh, in great detail on this area for the next few months. And does the area of New South Wales have a history for um, this uh, type of mineralisation? Um, and either way, do you see a um, potential for it to become a new REE province and why? Uh, there, as look, Rob, there are not, uh, several known rare earth deposits in New South Wales, but none in the Cobar area that I'm aware of. And uh, this geological uh, structure is not a typical structure that you get rare earth minerals in. But but there are reports in the literature of rare earths in this sort of uh, in this sort of terrain. So we think that uh, nobody has looked. For this sort of mineralisation in the past in the Cobar area, we think we think we're onto something really good here, or we could be onto something really good here. We've secured a much broader tenement package than we had before, 
And, and we're going to uh, give this a good go over the next few months seeing, to see if we can find the limits of, the, of this particular deposit and also for new deposits. Hmm. Um, obviously, your focus has been uh, more recently on uh, the Brown uh, Reef deposit. Um, what have you sort of achieved today and what exploration activities do you have planned for the remainder of 2023? Brown's Reef is a very large structure and uh, the mineralisation grade or the mineralisation extends over most of that structure. It's been drilled in the past, but the grades are quite modest. We found we found um, two areas called Evergreen and Pine View, which are much higher grade than the overall grade of the structure elsewhere. That structure reappears in a number of places on our Browns Reef tenement. So what we're going to do is try to drill out those two high grade areas. And we're pretty confident that we've got at least one ore body there and we might get the second one. But there are some brownfield areas around it as well that have really never been drilled other than through very shallow uh, auger core holes or, or, or um, uh, rab drill, drilling in the past. They've come up with anomalous geochemistry, but nobody's put in any, any, any deeper diamond or RC holes. That's what we'll be doing. So our focus at Browns Reef over the next uh, year will be to try to... Uh, firm up a jork compliant resource at Evergreen, get to the point where we've got a indication of a resource at Pineview and explore some earlier stage targets elsewhere on the Browns Reef tenement. Before we start speaking about um, your work in Northern Territory, um, what's the mining uh, industry like within the New South Wales region? Um, what, what's been happening? I wonder if you can give our audience uh, an update on activities across the, the mining sector within New South Wales. One of, one of the secrets that we all know, that people in WA don't know, is that Australia's largest gold mine is in New South Wales. You go to Perth and you say that to, some, to most people and they'll think you've been smoking something. So, look, uh, the Cadia mine, gold mine, is Australia's largest gold mine. We do have a number of other uh, uh, copper mines in the district. The prospectivity is excellent. There's a lot of companies exploring, and there, might, there are mines in production in the Cobar Basin where we're doing our work. So uh, that's where we're focusing. Uh, there was a lot of money raised for exploration in New South Wales in what they call the Lachlan Fold Belt uh, a couple of years ago. The overall market's a little softer now, so people are not raising money at the moment, but they're spending the, the money that they have raised quite wisely on exploring these projects. There are two uh, new mines uh, just in the last week have re received government approval to go ahead. That's uh, the McFullamies mine owned by Regis Resources, a gold mine near Bathurst, and the uh, Bowden Silver Mine uh, near Mudgee. So the, uh, the government has been very friendly to the mining sector. The miners, of course, have to be very, very responsible in terms of how they uh, interact with communities and the environment, but you can get projects up. Is there a lot of competition between WA and New South Wales for talent, for finance, 
governance, etc. And and I, I'm just bringing up that point because you talk about obviously the largest gold mine. Uh, yes, there is. Um, uh, look, having said that, um, we've got the largest gold mine in Australia. There's no doubt about it. The centre of the Australian mining industry is Perth. There's metalliferous mining industry, I mean. There's no doubt about that. And there are a lot of uh, competent people and a lot of good projects and a lot of good companies. But New South Wales is right up there with the best of them. And uh, uh, notwithstanding the extent to which um, the, the, the stock market has uh, been a little unfriendly to the mining sector, particularly the junior sector over the last few months, notwithstanding that, everybody is still, everybody's still employed. Company, this time around, with a, with a bit of a turnaround, the company real, companies realise they have to keep up, hang on to good people. And that's what they're doing. There is there are no geologists driving taxis in Sydney. Yeah, got you. Um, let's move on to obviously Northern Territory. Um, you've been investigating a number of opportunities um, that the <coughs> sorry at your Aranta project. Um, in recent months, the company's uh, accelerated its exploration work uh, in uh, the Northern Territory. Um, what have you completed so far? The, the Arunda uh, province is a defined geological province uh, towards the southern end or the southern part of the Northern Territory. And that's uh, where our home of bullion mine lies. Home of bullion at one stage was Australia's uh, highest grade and largest copper mining venture. Now, this goes back a long time, mind you. This goes back to about 1920. But uh, and it has been mined intermittently from the 1920s to the 1950s. Um, it, it consists of uh, at least three different loads. They're high grade, uh, and uh, there's quite a number of holes in them. Uh, not not fully uh, explored the extent of the mineralisation. There's still good potential at home of bullion and a long strike towards. Another copper show about 15 kilometres away called Mulbangus. We've got that under tenure and we're doing some systematic work there for copper uh, exploration, both at home of bullion and at Mulbangus. But but as I said earlier, uh, Rob, the, the tenement package that we've got uh, near the little town of Barrow Creek falls within a defined geological area or a sub-area of the Arunta province known as the Barrow Creek Pegmatite Field. And there are a number of companies exploring uh, the, for those pegmatites because it's the pegmatite, it's the rock pegmatite that contains uh, the minerals which, bear, which are lithium-bearing. And uh, a number have been found. Uh, some of them have been mined, but in a low scale, low on a low uh, small scale in the past, mainly for tin, tin and tungsten, not for lithium. But but these sorts of uh, geological environments are quite prospective for for uh, lithium. And one of, one of the things I haven't emphasised, but maybe I should, Rob, is that uh, our project area at Barrow Creek or the Arunda project, which we we call it. It's it's just 20 kilometres to the east of the main north-south highway that goes from Adelaide to Darwin. It's within 50 kilometres of the uh, railway line that goes from Adelaide to Darwin. And there is a natural gas pipeline 
that uh, goes with it in about <clears throat> 20 kilometres of the project area. So it's pretty well serviced uh, for infrastructure, notwithstanding it's in a fairly remote area of Australia. Um, Eastern uh, metals have also included uh, a lithium prospect in your uh, Northern Territory portfolio. How advanced is the company's exploration for lithium? Um, and is it being in such, uh, and obviously being uh, such in demand commodity, what's the potential for you to um, look at the lithium sector within uh, Northern Territory? Um, we recognise that their tenement package there, and we've got about uh, uh, six or eight tenements exploration licences, we recognise that they lie within this uh, Barrow Creek pegmatite field, and so by definition, they are prospective for lithium. Other companies have found pegmatites, but I have to be honest, we haven't found any at all. But uh, having said that, we've only explored 50% of our tenements for lithium. Uh, part of the problem that we face there is that there's some what they call aeolian or windblown sand cover. And so it's only thin, but uh, it's hard to see the bedrock through that sand. So uh, the old timers wouldn't have found them uh, if it's covered by this uh, transported soil cover. And uh, we're using uh, modern modern uh, te technology to look through, if you like, to look through that thin sand layer to see what the uh, bedrock may look like. Um Eastern Metals are exploring, obviously, an, an, a number of important future-facing commodities um, across different Australian mining jurisdictions. Um, is there currently a standout priority for the company's exploration activities, um, or what is your sort of broader strategy? Had, had you asked me this uh, six months ago, I would have said very much that the priority would be... Uh, the home of Bullion Mine and Browns Reef in New South Wales. But we've had this uh, discovery of very high-grade uh, rare earths at the Currawalla Mine at Tara in New South Wales. I have to say that was not as a result of uh, high-level geological thinking or great, uh, great planning or anything like that. It was basically serendipity. But we're but to benefit from good luck, you have to be playing the game. You have to be having a crack, and that's exactly what we were doing. And to our great pleasure, we've come up with these very high grades of rare earths. And so wherever you get high grades, there's nothing like high grades. No matter what commodity you're looking for, there's nothing like high grades to get you to change your priorities. Um, as Australia is the sort of number one jurisdiction. Um, mining in the world. Um, what challenges do you see the country facing uh, within obviously the mining industry um, and keeping that number one spot as a, as a mining jurisdiction? Oh look, look. I think uh, I think the challenges have, have, have been pretty well documented. There, there's when I was a young guy, the 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 mining industry and the farming industry used to be working. Uh, in lockstep. Uh, these days, the, um, there's more pushback from the landowners against the miners coming onto their ground. Miners are allowed by law to go on the, onto the land, but there's no doubt the media always comes down on the side of, of the landowner rather than the miner. 
the media sees all miners as being rapacious uh, multinationals, but the facts of the matter are that most miners are very small companies like us. And we live amongst the in the in the community, and we work with the communities, and uh, that's uh, it's an issue that we do recognise that you know we have to manage our relationship with the with the landowners because at the end of the day, it's the land that they they're working that they earn their living from. Um, again, twenty years ago, people were, were were complaining about the growth of or the impact of native title on the mining industry. But I think the miners and the native title holders have become very much more mature over the years. And with goodwill on both sides, it's quite possible to come to a very um, satisfactory arrangement with, with native title holders and the holders of expiration licenses so that everybody works for a common good. Uh, I guess the, uh, the other the other element that, that is of concern, and you touched on it a moment ago, and I think I talked a little bit about it, there's no doubt that there is competition for talent. And uh, even when there are down to, again, when I was a young guy, when there was downturns in the mining sector, the first thing the companies would do is put their geologists off. Uh, and a lot of them never came back. Well, they're not doing that these days. You know, they, they're hanging on to people, and that's what we will do too. There's no question about that. So access to talent is a, is a, is a problem. And those three things, those three principal areas are areas where the mining company has some degree of control. So they're the things that we do focus on. The thing that we don't have any degree of control over, but it is... An, an issue for us all is commodity prices. Fortunately, commodity prices are pretty strong at the moment, and uh, most people say they're going to stay strong. But, uh, you know, that's an area that we have no control over. And, and I guess I, I should raise another issue too, quite frankly, Rob, and that, that is cost inflation. Cost inflation in the mining industry is exactly the same as cost inflation in other industries. Uh, you know, things are getting more expensive. And that in turn means that you must become smarter with the mining me uh, methods so that the mining uh, costs fall, if you can, or at least stay stable. Uh, and, and uh, you know, that, that is, that, that, that's a real issue. But I think people, people can, uh, to the extent that you can forecast the future prices, and nobody can, but people are, people are quite comfortable, I think, basically where we are at the moment in the commodity price cycle. Yeah. Um, and concluding, um, just wanted to give us the outlook of um, Eastern Metals for the remainder of the year, what activity, activities you're going to focus on, um, and if there is anything else that you would like to add. Uh, no, look, we. I was saying to some of our people uh, a few weeks ago that... Uh, we could we could easily spend the next four or five years exploring our existing tenements without moving uh, away. That sort of thing never happens in the exploration sector, and we will be acquiring new assets. I don't think we'll be disposing of any assets, but we may. Who knows? Uh, but uh, uh, I think I've given you a, a, an indication of what we intend to do at Tara, at Browns Reef, and at at home of bullion, uh, and and I think that's the sort of thing that we will be doing over the short to medium term. Bob, really appreciate your time. Thank you for sharing uh, your um, 
your story and telling us about Eastern uh, mining. Uh, and also, obviously, telling us a little bit about Australia, what's happening in Australia in the mining industry, both in New South Wales and uh, Northern Territory and Australia as, as a whole. Um, if our audience wants to reach out to you, if they've got any questions, um, how can they go about doing that? Um, how can they go about following your story? Are you on sort of any social media platforms? We are, but the but the best way to uh, to follow our story is to look at our website www.easternmetals.com.au. Uh, or quite frankly, I'm quite happy to take a call on my mobile. My mobile number has been published: oh four one two two three four six eight four. Or by email, Bob Duffin, or one word at easternmetals.com.au. I'm quite happy to uh, uh, receive uh, uh, questions or comments from anybody, shareholder or not. Yeah, great. We can include those in the uh, show notes uh, accompanying this podcast episode. Um, okay. Really appreciate your time. Um, perhaps you want to come on later this year or, or beginning part of next year, like you said, after 12 months to see. Uh, see what progress you have made terrific rob thank you very much for the invitation today yeah no worries um thank you for listening um i hope you enjoyed that episode please uh, appreciate your continued support in sharing sharing this content um sharing the podcast and um like i said we want to try and share this not just amongst the mining community but also people outside of the mining community people that don't necessarily understand what mining is all about um certain episodes will um be relevant to people outside of the mining industry um and i appreciate if you can keep sharing the, these episodes to far far as far as possible um to every obviously jurisdiction around the world every continent we are in about 188 countries so there isn't too many more countries left on the map um but really appreciate your continued support and until next time happy mining thank you for listening remember to reach out to rob via the show notes and be sure to subscribe and leave a review until next time happy mining helping each other to improve the mining industry